artists may have their own internal definition of what makes them successful and that does not always align with the market. Many people toil away in obscurity and never make it or they might make it when they're 89 years old and that's coming out more and more now. Hello and welcome back to Corvinus Business Intelligence. It's great to have you back for our third podcast with Claudia Worthington Hess, where we are speaking about the business of art. I'm just so delighted to have with me today my co-host, a student at Corvinus University School of Business, Lily Cha. And of course, we are thrilled to have back with us Claudia Worthington Hess, owner and founder of Hess Art Advisory as well as founder and partner at New Media Art Advisory, where we are speaking about the business of art, the art of business, business of art. I think it's more business of art, but we'll find out in greater detail in a few minutes. Claudia, uh, you were telling me a little bit about one of your projects in Italy involving some statues and your approach to advising and evaluating and pl placing a value on, on those statutes. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure, Ted, thanks for having me. So uh, because in the appraising world, we are follow the Graham Beach Belily Act and we keep things confidential, I'm gonna just sort of speak of this in general terms. I was charged for finding an insurance value on a 10 foot two statue of Jesus carved in Carrera, Italy, the same quarry that Michelangelo used. And this was back in the 1950s. This statue was then brought over to a mausoleum in Northern California. And now the statue is going to be transported to Southern California. And in order to get that done, it has to be insured. And in order for it to be insured, it needs to get appraised. So how the heck do you appraise Jesus? And I had to put on my thinking cap and go, well, our world starts with comps, comparable values. How do you get comps for a 10 foot two carbon Italy statue? And I know that the world has changed a lot and many more companies do do this kind of carving, mainly like China, but that's not a good comp for the statue because it wasn't carved in China. It was carved in Italy using hand tools and, and uh, an artist. So I thought, okay, I called up Catholic churches. I thought of the Mormon church. I called up a Mormon friend and said, you know, look, I'd like to really respectfully find out, you know, if they have something like this. And there I did all my research, you know, Googled various statues and things like that. And I found out that the Mormon church in Rome has a similar statue also made in Italy of Carrera marble. Ding, 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 ding. Okay. This might be a good comp for me. So then what do I have to do? I had to call up the Mormon church and say, listen, I know that you have this. Could I please get more clarification on how something like this, you know, how you commissioned it, 
How much did it cost? They sent me to an architectural firm. I had to explain my whole crazy story about praising Jesus to the architectural firm. That architectural firm got me to a, another Italian firm that also operates out of this quarry. And so we are getting very closer to the value, but that's kind of the architective portion of my job. You have to be creative in your thinking. You have to not be afraid to make calls and find out information and bring, bring allies to your side. Because as you can imagine, the Mormon church may not want to be forthcoming in that information. So you have to figure out a way to get it. So that's it in a nutshell. Uh, I'm still working on it. Well, it sounds like uh, you have a movie script in there uh, somewhere. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, um, and, and it, it, with that as an example, what actually makes a good art appraiser? What do you think are the most important characteristics of a good, a successful art appraiser? Okay, well, there, there's two sides of that coin, so to speak, Ted. One is we're doing a skill set of art appraising. And the second side of the coin is we own a business and we have to be skilled as an art appraiser and you have to own and run a business and all of the uh, complications that come with doing that. And as an entrepreneur, I have to get up every day and be ready to work with no one looking over my shoulder, no one saying, Claudia, get this <clears throat> project done by this time. I need to look it over. Uh, I have to be very motivated. I am dealing with passion assets. So assets that mean a lot to people and oftentimes bridge over into the how these people think of themselves and so you're valuing something that is a reflection of somebody's uh, value of themselves so you kind of have to be a psychologist in this role you have to be able to deliver good or bad news and back it up with facts and figures you have to be very you know, you, you, you have to be very self-motivated if you're doing this in, as an entrepreneur and not be put off by uh, challenges. And you have to find ways to work with people because I have to use appraisers and colleagues all over the world in the United States to solve some of my problems. What else? I think that's kind of it in a nutshell. Well, that sounds like more than, more than enough <laughs> to have to deal with. And Lily, I know you have a bunch of questions, so please go ahead. Uh, yes, my first question is that you told us you are into art in many, many ways, but uh, do you create art yourself? Uh, you know, Lily, I do not. I was not blessed with that ability. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you. Uh, my next question is, uh, you mentioned that you're able to tell if someone will become a well-known or a successful artist. How would you define a person like that? Okay, <laughs> it, it, that's a little bit difficult to answer because artists may have their own internal definition of 
what makes them successful and that does not always align with the market many people toil away in obscurity and never make it or they might make it when they're 89 years old and that's coming out more and more now so to be successful may be measured in different ways and one way is the market but that market is shaped by forces that are not always just and kind so uh that that success can come in different ways all right thank you to what extent do you think uh claudia boy this is going to be a tough one to generalize but to what extent do you think uh claudia artists care about the financial aspects of their work product or is that usually not in their heads i definitely believe it's in their heads and you know like all labor we we like to be compensated for our efforts and artists are laborers they are making decisions about what to put in stone onto video into a digital file uh on canvas and they have to decide is anybody you know gonna like this or not or do i care but i think all we all do care and and unfortunately or fortunately money is one way that people show that they care they want to remunerate you for your efforts and that usually means they have to either like it or believe in what you're trying to say and you had you had spoken in our uh, first podcast about placing an artwork in the kind of flow of art history and it reminded me actually you and i both studied in munich and i remember the uh, experiencing the expressionist movement followed by the dadaism movement and 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 thinking dadaism a dadaist I, I can't imagine they were thinking too much about money, but but uh, maybe that was a different time, a different different era. Um, when you're evaluating a uh, that is placing a value on an artwork that is so abstract, uh, there was a museum in in Munich. I remember that I'm sure you and I both went to. I went into it, and there I think there was sort of a pile of bricks in the middle of the floor, right? It, it was one of these, I guess, message pieces. If you were to value art. something like that, yeah, how do you value something like that? Well, you find out who is the artist. Does this artist make works like that, or where does this pile of bricks fall within the uh, the artist's oeuvre? What does the market think of the artist in terms of financial terms? You can call up galleries. You can go and in, into the auction market. And you can start to get a feeling for the artist's market. And then you start doing comparisons to other known sold works. Where would this pile of bricks fall into uh, all the historical data on what is sold? And then you try and place it in today's terms. We call that the effective date evaluation. And you try to put a number on it. With conceptual art, like that pile of bricks, we add on another intricacy into the equation. And that is something called artist's intent. What did the artist intend to broadcast with this pile of bricks? And do people feel that that was done well and adequately? 
So uh, that might be another factor that we put into this giant equation. How do you factor in, uh, I'm thinking of two specific examples. How do you factor in and put a value on a work of art produced by a well-known person who is well-known not for their artwork or audibility? Uh, our, our art ability. I'm thinking of two examples, both from the world of politics and history. Uh, Winston Churchill was known to love to paint and he produced many paintings, um, but I don't believe he's known for being one of the world's greatest artists. I could stand to be corrected in that regard. Um, and second, more recently, uh, former US President George W. Bush has taken to painting uh, nature scenes, I believe, birds, as well as at least one self-portrait, where I think he's sitting in the bathtub, interestingly enough. Um, so how do you value an artwork produced by somebody who is well-known, but well-known for matters outside the art world? Ted, we call that the celebrity effect. And we try to put a percentage on that. So with Winston Churchill, and thank you for bringing up a concrete example. I got to get better at that. But with Winston Churchill, his paintings are Midland, okay? They're nothing great. But Winston Churchill painted it. So what percentage do you assign to his celebrity status? And that's where you try to work, look at other people like George Bush or other people that have, you know, migrated over into another field. This is not uncommon. Rockers uh, do other art. Patti Smith is an accomplished rock musician as well as writer. So there are lots of people who bridge over and there is a way to calculate that celebrity <laughs> status. I'll give one quick example and I'll turn it over to Lily. Um, there I think have only been 12 astronauts that have walked on the moon and I know one of them really got into art upon his return. Um, and he also, I believe, uh, sprinkled a little bit of moon dust on many of his paintings. <laughs> Can you imagine uh, trying to value that? That would be an interesting one. But Lily, I know you still have many more questions, so please go ahead. Um, yeah, drifting away from uh, specifically art, uh, what is your opinion on the, the metaverse? And uh, do you think that could NFTs play a key role in it? So you're, uh, Lily, you're asking about the art market and the role of NFTs in the art market? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so Starting with Beeple's sale at Christie's auction house of you know $69 million, including premium, the whole world all of a sudden just said, oh my gosh, WTF, what is an NFT? So, and, and it's such a nascent or new market. So much is still being worked out and there are so many dangers uh, one, the number one thing being is the storage of these assets. And this is really going to go down to the, into the weeds for a moment, but bear with me. 
most people have to self-insure. Insurance companies cannot really, uh, they haven't gotten up to the task of insuring these kind of things. So it's up to the owner to self-insure and, and protect their assets. Now, will NFTs keep occurring? NFT attached art keep going on in the market? I say yes. Will it start encompassing more and different things? I say yes, like photography, like artificial reality. As technology gets better and better and can incorporate other tools of technology such as artificial reality, we will be able to trade in those digital assets. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you think it changed the original artist's uh, mind? Uh, like, um, how do I say this? Uh, what are their thoughts on NFTs and digital art? What do you think? Oh, I, it definitely changed minds. It mm -hmm. made everyone get, as we said in a previous podcast and why I'm writing this book, NFT Handbook for Art Lovers, gave everybody FOMO, F-O-M-O, -O, fear of missing out. All mm -hmm. of a sudden they're like, what? 69 million? How can I get a piece of that action? So you had a lot of people going into it from uh, the most recent example is Madonna collaborated with people on a very, very, how shall I say, contentious <laughs> NFT that she's couching in terms of, well, the money's gonna go to charities, but it's, it's uh, well, I'm gonna let, you can Google uh, people and, and Madonna and find out for yourself. Uh, so yeah, everyone's feeling, I gotta get in on this, but, I have to tell you that the upper echelons of this world are a very small group of players and those players are manipulating the market. And uh, that's a whole other podcast and who's related to who and who's manipulating these markets. But uh, it for saying that they wanted to get away from the traditional art market and, and be disruptive, it somehow has bounced back to a lot of the greed uh, that sometimes permeates all humans' thoughts and interactions. And I always say, greed is faster than the law. I totally agree. Speaking of greed, speaking of things faster than the law, um, it's probably not, a, not out of the question that art is used for uh, not that you would be involved in this personally, but I'm sure you, you follow it. Uh, art is used for money laundering, art is used for tax evasion. Um, I assume you agree that that's, those issues are probably out there. Um, do you agree? And if so, what, what do you think about those, those issues? I think they're very substantial issues. Uh, I have one word for you, Switzerland. Why, you know, we have no idea what are in the Freeport in Switzerland. And uh, there is a publication called The Art Newspaper, which I read all the time. And it discussed that even 
the mayor of, I think it's Geneva, has never even been in <laughs> this report himself. It is so secretive and nothing's gonna become unsecretive because the government of Switzerland wants it so. So there's still too many ways for people to hide their money via art. They know that people said that uh, Russians knew that, 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 you know, very wealthy Russians knew that the Ukraine was gonna be invaded and they went on this big art buying spree um, all the way down to people stealing artifacts or spoils of war. It is a big business. It's a way to hide. Um, we obviously stay far, far away from it. And there are things called the art loss register and people who do a lot of research into art fraud. And just uh, for those of our listeners who don't know a lot about it, and that would certainly include me, um, uh, Freeport, Switzerland is sort of a duty-free zone that has got a big fence around it that stores art or something along yeah. those lines? It, exactly. Right. It is, uh, I, I, I mean, it's a huge, huge warehouse with incredible security and a lot of art is stored in there. And what is stored in there? No one really, I mean, yes, they know, but they will not reveal that. And it's a way to for people to hide assets, including art. Yeah, there's no tariffs to go in or out of it. That's why it's called Freeport. This is the part of the podcast where we get to know the true Claudia Worthington House. We know that she is highly educated, to put it mildly, having studied, among other places, at the University of Illinois, the Sorbonne, uh, University in Munich and receiving an MBA from the very well-known Thunderbird School in the US. But we wanna know the true Claudia, the Claudia behind the cloud. And in doing so, we are borrowing from Marcel Proust, who asked certain questions to try to probe that true personality. We have modified these questions somewhat, but they are in the spirit of the true Marcel Proust. Claudia, are you ready? I am. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Claudia, what is your idea of perfect happiness? I don't like the word happiness. I prefer the word contentment. And my idea of perfect contentment is something that I make for myself. What is the quality you most like in a person? Uh, that they are real. What is your greatest extravagance? Art and travel. And how do you keep yourself motivated? I try to take small breaks throughout the day and uh, also some mental health time throughout the year. What do you consider your greatest achievement? Uh, my children and starting three businesses. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? Uh, to maybe have less self-doubt and more, more confidence. What is your most 
treasured possession. Oh man, this is like choosing children, Ted. Mm -hmm. uh, I, my, I'm a, a, a collector and I collect paperweights and I would say um, a, a certain paperweight that's in my collection. Uh, what and not who is the greatest love of your life? Art. If you were to die and come back as a person or thing, what would it be? Uh, definitely a bird. I love to soar high over things and, and get the big picture. What is your most marked characteristic? Perseverance. What do you most value in your friends? Loyalty. Who are your favorite writers? Uh, my most favorite writers, uh, that's also difficult. Right now I'm really into the writing, uh, writings of Patti Smith. Which historical figure do you most identify with? Oh boy. Uh, uh, maybe Georgia O'Keeffe, the artist. Be our first podcast. Go mm -hmm. ahead, Chris. What is your greatest regret? I don't like to concentrate on regret. If you were to live somewhere else than where you currently live, where would you most like to live? Ah. Uh... Maybe Washington, D.C. area. What is your motto, if you have one? Creative, divergent thinking. Which living person do you most admire? Hmm. I would say my brother. What is the trait that you most deplore in others? I would say not being aware of others and their surroundings. Which words or phrases do you most overuse? Gosh, that, uh... Something I'm trying to get better at. Maybe the word sorry. I'm sorry about something. Claudia, thank you so much for your responses to our Proust inspired questionnaire. Chris Chordash, my co host, student at Corvinus University School of Business, thank you for helping me ask them. My name is Theodore Boone. I'm in the faculty at Corvinus University. Claudia Worthington Hess, thank you, owner and founder of Hess Art Advisory and founder and partner at New Media Art Advisory. Thank you so much, Claudia, for being with us today. And we leave you with our words of Benjamin Franklin. An investment in knowledge pays the best interest. It was a great pleasure. Thank you for having me.